0: You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. quickly. <laughs> JP, my man, good to see you, brother. Um, thank you, friends. Uh, whew, goodness, sorry. I think. Give me a second. Uh, I heard recently in uh, an incredible Dominican breakfast my brother, Edwin Colon. Uh, we were talking, and he said to me, We are all interim pastors. And it's true. The lead pastor of this church has been and always will be Jesus Christ. And he will come again to take his place. And until then, he entrusts and has entrusted an incredible lineage of people like Robert like Tyler, uh, and even screwed up people like me, <laughs> uh, to be his hands and his feet, until we get to feel them for ourselves. So, um, I'm going to jump in. You know, a, a lot of what I was going to say today, and actually a lot of the beginning, Jim has already done for me, so uh, this is really great. I just wanted to I was looking actually a, a picture along uh, sorry I found a picture recently a buddy sent it to me, actually John sent it to me and it's of me and this small group of people and we're walking across Williamsburg Church uh, one Easter morning because that was this our walking across Williamsburg Bridge uh, as that was the the tradition on Easter morning and uh, Robert was leading that group and uh, and it was so it's been so wild to live around the corner from here and like We've thrown birthday parties in this place and just, like, had, like, community gatherings that my friends, like, hosted and put together where people would just come share their art. So I've done a lot of things in this building, so to now have a key and, like, oh, this is just really trippy. So, um, man, to God be the glory. It's crazy what he can do. Um, There's something about standing on the precipice of the new season that it makes like looking back, seem not just like nostalgia, but necessity, like there's a need to remember where we've been so we can steady our feet for where we're going, and like recalling the lessons that we've learned that brought us to this moment, because it kind of helps bolster us for the unknown, right? And so in that sense, I really just want to spend some time today, if you'll permit me, to share with you just a couple of stories, three stories, in fact, uh, from my life and stories that I've been ruminating over recently, um, especially as we're about to start this new journey. And I want to share them to you because I think they'll give you insight into who I am and who I've been and just whom our elders haven't trusted to help guide the next season of this church. And I actually just want to take a moment and just say, can we give honor to our elders? (laughs) Liz, that will, Lindsay, who's not here today, but in here in spirit, Kaiser, Simon, they have guided this church through a transition that none of them signed up for. (laughs) (laughs) And they have worked tirelessly to see the work of God continue. And I can't tell you how many times they've been on calls till late in the night and meetings upon meetings upon meetings, just trying to get a glimpse of where God is going, because they didn't want to move a step unless he was in front of them. And so, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for the work you've put into this place, for the covering that you provide. For those of you who don't know, I didn't grow up in an elder church. I just want to, get, this is for free. Want, I'm still going to tell the stories. Uh, but we are led by volunteers, essentially. They they are people from among our congregation that we elect and we call forward to serve as the top line of the church. They are my bosses. Uh, they can fire me um, and hire me, thankfully. Uh <laughs> but they serve to give us covering and to ensure that we stay faithful to Jesus. And we've got some really good elders. And I just beg you that as you pray for this church, you pray for them, that God would steady their feet and widen their eyes and draw so near to them that there wouldn't be daylight. If that happens, it doesn't matter who's sitting in the seat. We'll get where we've got to go. Amen. Cool. Okay. So a couple of stories. Um, the first one actually happens when I was 16. Uh, it's when I first started teaching the Word of God uh, in my youth group. Uh, I had a leader who is no longer with us, um, and I know he would be here if he was. And he took this 16-year-old kid, and he, and he just said, you know what? You've got to learn by doing. And he gave me to a bunch of, like, sixth graders and seventh graders. And I was a senior in high school, and he was, like, teach them about Jesus on Wednesday nights. And so I started preaching. And um, I remember getting that task. I was like, what do I do? And so I started going into the scriptures, just trying to figure things out. And I read Exodus 3, and in Exodus 3, there's a story that happens. Moses, uh, who you know, like sent my people go. Moses starts, he's in the desert, right? And he's run away from his past, and uh, he's out just like herding sheep, and he sees this burning bush. But the bush is not being consumed, but it's on fire. And if that wasn't trippy enough, out of the bush comes a voice, and the voice calls to Moses. And so Moses, I mean, I don't know, in my tradition, I would have went the other way. Um, But I guess in his culture, you walk towards things like that. Uh, And so he walks towards this bush, and this bush tells him, Moses, stop. Take off your shoes, for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. And that just struck me, what it meant to be on holy ground. What's interesting is like this time in the scriptures and in history, uh, in large part, the presence of God is defined like geographically. Like we find him, you know, in like this, 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 pit, these clouds in the day and pillar of fire at night. We find him in the Ark of a Covenant. We find him in a burning bush, right? And so the places around it were sacred and if you weren't careful, if you came into it uh, unclean, if you entered the presence of God untoward or with, with full abandon, with disrespect, you risked death because it was really important that the presence of God was seen for what it was, intimacy, before the creator of the universe. And so I started this practice, and I used to take off my shoes uh, every time I taught them. One, I just didn't like shoes. But (laughs) But two, I always wanted to be reminded that to teach to stand before people like you all and to practice influence, that God's presence, while then predominantly defined geographically, is now defined personally. He has poured out his spirit into men and women, and so when you let me into your heart to preach the word of God, I am standing on hollow, sacred ground, and I better do so with some respect. And so I come so humbly to say, "With maturity, I've learned you can take the substance without the symbol, so for your sake, I do wear shoes now. Uh, <laughs> but the heart is still the same. I do not take it lightly that you let me into your heart, the place where God resides. And it is my commitment to you that I will do so humbly with integrity with care and kindness and respect as best I can muster. Because truly God wants to take a residence right here and that is hollow ground. That's why I took my shoes off today. But there's something kind of interesting about that. So you think about, again, uh, this burning bush and like a little bit more in that story is as, as Moses interacts with this burning bush and it's God, and God says, "Hey, I want you to go about and I want you to deliver my people." And Moses is like, "Who am I?" And I think that's a fair question. I'm asking myself that: Who am I, God, to lead these people? Because it just just seems like so crazy this whole thing. When you really think about what what we are doing here, we could be at brunch right now or watching football, but we have ordered our lives to say that we believe that there is something worth putting all that aside to gather together. There is something about singing these songs to a God we can't see and we can't touch. There's a necessity there that this is real is what we're saying. And honestly, I haven't always felt that way because when I was like a kid, you saw my mom and dad, Salt of the Earth, they're watching right now, um, Harold and B. Boatwright, um, my very first pastors. Uh, When I was a kid growing up, I would read these stories like this and I was like, I had never seen a burning bush. I've never seen anyone walk on water. I've never seen like a donkey talk. I tried to get my dog to talk, and that's probably why it hated me. (laughs) And I would read all these stories of all this power, and yet in my lived reality, it just wasn't like there. And so I was like wrestling with what that meant. Where was this power, and is it possible that God is actually doing something, that this is really real? You know what I'm saying? Anybody else felt like that? Maybe you're all a lot more trusting than I (laughs) (laughs) am. So... You can imagine, I also grew up independent Baptist and this is important. So uh, we know in like Acts 2 where, where through Peter gives the day of Pentecost, it says that the Holy Spirit comes down upon the people and you have this miraculous thing where people are speaking in all sorts of languages and people are prophesying and they're just like speaking words of God and it's just kind of this crazy thing. Well, God indwells people with their Holy his Holy Spirit and so his power, like we talked about, is in our hearts, but that power also manifests itself through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, I grew up independent Baptist, which for us, we were Trinitarians, we believe in the Trinity, but the Holy Spirit was kind of like, I was going to say the bassist, but then Steve was on the bass today, and that would just not be congruent, because you, you know Steve Carmona. Um, God's, this Holy Spirit for us was like that cousin at the barbecue. Like, you know your family, but you don't really know them that well. You know, so it was like we know the Holy Spirit's a part of church and we're part of God, but um, it wasn't really something that we like dealt in or unpacked, we didn't see like the Holy Spirit to the level that I now know, and that's for a lot of reasons. But it, I learned a lot about Jesus and this stuff. But all that to say is, you can imagine my surprise. I come out of Bible school and I'm going, God, I want to know you more than what's on paper, I want to know you in flesh and blood, I want to see this power. Where are you? And the Holy Spirit starts invading my life, literally, physically invading my life. And so the next story I want to tell you is this one that happened to me. Uh, this was in the winter of 2007. I was in Colorado, Denver, Colorado. Uh, I had moved there, which is a whole other story in itself. But I had come to work in this church because I felt like God had called me to, and uh, this church couldn't afford to pay me. I was like working full-time outside of it. And I was working as an AV tech in this hotel uh, right off uh, 16th Street, which is this outdoor mall in the heart of downtown Denver, where like there's all kinds of shops and people walk up and down the street and uh, there's a trolley that goes back and forth. And so I'm, I'm working at this hotel right off of there and it's nine o'clock at night and I'm minding my own business and all of a sudden, God speaks to me, and I I get those words, and when you hear this story, you can be like, what, what does that mean when God speaks to me? Here's what I mean by the words God spoke to me. I was minding my own business, and all of a sudden, I had this like internal feeling like I was late for an appointment, right? You ever felt that? When you know you should have been out of the house five minutes ago, and you still got to hope that the train's on time, and you're like, I have messed up, I'm late. And so this anxiety started coming up in me because I was late for an appointment, and there was this simple thought in my head that was kind of not my typical voice, and it said this, I need you to go feed someone. And honestly, something like this had never really kind of happened to me before, and so I was like, God? Uh, And so... (laughs) I was like, okay, I need you to go feed someone. And I felt like I needed to go. And so I I clocked out. I go to the 16th Street, and I'm walking um, down the pathway. And I'm passing all manner of people. I'm passing people going out to dinner. I'm passing homeless people. And and it wasn't just like, I want you to go feed um, anyone. It was, I want you to go feed someone. That there was a specific person that I was supposed to go feed. so I'm walking my person, it's like, no, and then my head's like, no, no, that's not them, that's not them. So I walk probably 12 blocks, and I'm at the end of the street. And so at this point, as I think any rational person would do, I said, I have lost my mind. (laughs) I've detached from reality. I'm gonna go home, get some sleep, and never talk about this again. And so... The bus comes that takes you back up, and so I get on the little free trolley that goes up, and as I walk onto the trolley, out of the corner of my eye, there are two men on the back of the bus, and they have on backpacks, and they're either in The Amazing Race, or you know, they're homeless, and, 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 uh, and I felt immediately that God said, it's them. To which I said, oh, I've really lost it. Oh, no, it was one thing for this to be kind of like, I don't know, ethereal, and out there, but to have the people, I honestly wasn't prepared for it. And so I, I freak out, I sit down, I'm running through my head, what does this mean? What did I eat for lunch? Could have been the Taco Bell? I don't know what happened. Um, and, I, and I just detach from the situation that I'm in and when I kind of come back to, I'm like, I just gotta go home. I realize that there's this pregnant woman has gotten on the bus in front of me, and I'm sitting in a seat, to which I have not offered her, and it's kind of past that moment where it's like reasonable to offer someone your seat, you know, you are, you're just not going to do it, and so I was like, oh my gosh, this woman thinks I'm scum of the earth, she's like crazy pregnant, I'm sitting here on this chair, I got to get out of this place, so I'm, I just, the next stop, I just jump off, forget the whole mission I'm on. I jump off the bus. But who also jumps off the bus at the back? Those two guys. And I'm like, oh oh no. And I just pause. And they walk past me. And I go, you know what? Even if this is God, I can't do it. This is too much. And so I walk ahead and I walk past them. And my steps start to slow. And I feel like, I feel myself turning around. I'm just like, got to do it. And so I come back to them, and I'll never forget, he was pulling, one of the guys was pulling a Gatorade bottle out of the the trash can that was in the block, and I just walked up to them, and I said, are you guys hungry? And they said, "Uh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Um, well, okay, Um, I want to buy you some food, and there was a McDonald's right here, and there was a Ruby Tuesdays, I think, right there. So this was like, great, okay, you can go to this McDonald's. I said, no, we're going to go to this Ruby Tuesday. And they're like, we really are just fine with a cheeseburger. And I was like, no, we're going to sit down and have a meal. And so me and my new friends, we walk into this Ruby Tuesday. They drop their bags, and we pull up in a booth. And uh, and I tell them, like, hey, I, I'm, I know this is wild, but I just felt like um, uh, I needed to offer you food. And then they, uh, the one guy, the other guy didn't talk much, but the, the one guy, um, uh, his name was Shannon. Actually, I'll just tell you his name. I was gonna like, whatever. Um, uh, but uh, he proceeds to tell me, uh, Shannon used to be a lawyer. Uh, I forget the city, but he had received had a traumatic brain injury that lost him his job and his his livelihood. And he ended up on the streets. He ended up in Colorado, and that day he had actually started in in uh, uh, Colorado City, um, which is just south of Denver. And um, he was not a religious person, but he had said a prayer that morning that, God, if you're real, uh, I'll believe in you if you'll, like, get me to Denver. He said this prayer, and then he had hustled up enough money to get on this bus. And then when he got on the bus, uh, they stopped for lunch, and this woman got off and bought him lunch and and made the way for him to eat. And then he got to Denver, and he was in a part, a sketchy part, that, you know, um, respectable people don't go to and this older couple nicely dressed walked up to him and handed him a bible and said we were supposed to give this to you and then he ended up on 16th street and was emptying a trash can and I walked up and asked him to go eat dinner and so he tells me this and I'm like, well, this is this is really wild and um and so we have a delightful dinner and I'm just like blown away and then uh I say, you know, hey, would you like to go to, like, a museum on Saturday? Because, like, I know you may live on the street, but you're still a person who doesn't like art. Maybe we just go look at some art on Saturday. He was like, cool. I said, meet me at the McDonald's. So we're almost done with this story, I promise. Um, so that Saturday, I show up at the McDonald's. The other guy didn't come. And Shannon is sitting there with these other um, uh, uh, homeless gentlemen. And... We're all just talking and we're just having breakfast, and they keep asking me these questions like so so how'd you get a job and, and where do you, where were you? and I realized that that they had thought that I was formerly living on the street and that I had found a way out uh, and that's why I was eating breakfast with them and that wasn't the case it was just their friends we so were just having breakfast um, and it was such a it was such a funny thing and we I had breakfast and so Shannon and I start walking, we leave, and he starts telling me that he actually has a sister in Denver that he hasn't seen in uh, I don't remember how many years. We hadn't seen her in a long time. And he didn't quite know where she lived. And I said, well, what if we just like try? She says, okay. Sure, it's not the craziest thing that's happened this week. And so we get in the car. And I promise, he just, we just kind of like, he's like, ah, maybe take a left here. I don't know, let's take a right here. And we end up after like 30 minutes in front of his house and we knock on the door and it's this dude's sister. And they like hug and start having this like family moment and like I stay for like probably five minutes and I get out of there. Um, And I've never experienced anything like that really since, I'm not that level. And I don't really know where that story went. I don't know if they're like family forever now. I don't, I don't have any of those details for you. But the reason I want to tell you that story is for a few reasons. Um, the first is like that I hold dear in my heart that breakfast at McDonald's with friends the world had looked over. But they were just my friends. And it kind of broke my heart that they thought, like, like it it was just so weird for them that someone who hadn't been in their position would want to just hang out. And the thing you gotta know about me is that my hope is that I will always be found among the rejected, the dejected, and the subjugated. I believe that the kingdom of God is for the birds. It's for the messed up and the jacked up of which I am chief, and those are the people that I wanna hang with. And those are the people I want in these seats around us and in our homes together, um, because uh, this place is only gonna be as diverse as our kitchen tables. and so I just, that's where I want to be found. That's who I am, who I want to be. The second is like being a part of uh, that moment where this like, I can't tell you how trippy it is to so walk up to this door not knowing what was gonna happen and then like, you're like, there's no way this is gonna happen. And then it's his sister and they like, what, what are you doing here? I'm like, Come in, all this kind of stuff. And it was just, I can never explain to you that feeling of seeing people reconciled. But I'm addicted to it. To see disparate people become one. To see the voids cross. 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul is, is is giving this exhortation to the Corinthians. He's essentially proclaiming the gospel and he says that Jesus has given him the ministry of reconciliation and has also given them the message of reconciliation that in Jesus, disparate people become one. People that have been in conflict find harmony. People who can't see each other become brother and sister. And I am hungry for it because I think it is the power of God to a world that's so divided. When they say, how do these people end up in the same room? Josephus, uh, a Jewish historian, wrote of the first church. He said, they walk around kissing each other and calling each other brother and sister indiscriminately. That was the sign of these people, gosh that would be the sign of my heart and who I am and who we are as a people, that people would find home and family. lastly is this that 's a cool story, but it's, the implications of it are wild. Like I just told you that like God told me to like feed a dude and then I found a dude and I, he needed actually food and then like I ended up taking him to his long lost sister. I know that there are a lot of implications there that like we should really talk about. That's not lost on me. I am rational. But the thing is, it either it's either true or it's not true. Either God does it or he doesn't. Either what we believe is real, that there is a God and he is moving in and through us or he isn't and we are wasting our time. There's power or there's not. Jesus is either, as C.S. Lewis tells us, a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. And if he's Lord, he says that we'll do greater things than he did. And he did walk on water, apparently. And I don't know about you, but like, Honestly, if this is a waste of time, we live in New York City. There's some great brunch to be had. If this is all for naught, I would much rather be there. But I don't believe it is because of the things that I've seen and what I've witnessed. So I am hungry for the mystery and the power of God as expressed through the guiding of the Holy Spirit. I want to always be ready, even when it sounds wild, to get up and clock out and go on an adventure with God. It's just, it's just where I'm at. It's just who I am. But more than the mystery and the power of God that I desire, there's the salvation of God that I need. And so um, last story I just wanted to share with you. Uh, in 2016, I got married to this incredible saint of a woman yeah, you can give her praise. I mean, I know, I, I know the story I just told you, but if you want to see a miracle, like, won't he do it? Like, she... <laughs> she puts up with all my stuff. Well, we got married in 2016, and um, it was an interesting year because I was going through a lot of personal revolution, um, and I was... Um, We got married in February and I realized when you get married um, shortly after, at least for me, like all the reasons why you got married like become clear, right? It's kind of like when you like really want something um, and then you get it and then you find out like what it's gonna mean to your life and whether it was really what you wanted or what you needed and so, and some parts of that I found that yes, I really did love this person, but then there were other parts where I realized like, I had placed a lot of identity and like, stuff in this idea and I realized, oh, this, this can't pay the bill. <laughs> as great as she is. And then on top of that, um, in July, Philando Castile and uh, Alton Sterling were murdered and I was just plunged into this um, a lot of questions around like race and like um, the things that I have experienced and uh, and having found myself in a lot of spaces where there weren't a lot of people who looked like me and I was like really wrestling with what it meant to be a man and to be a black man and to be in America and I just married this white woman and then like, all these black people are getting killed and like, we'll unpack a lot more of that in the years to come, I promise. Um, but what that all served was to produce a lot of grief and trauma in me. And the thing about grief and trauma, grief and trauma is like water. It will find the lowest point in the path of least resistance and it will empty itself out. And that's why sometimes you know when you snap at that like uh, t- that chair that you just stubbed your toe on or why like your roommate Uh, just forgot to turn off the light, but you're coming at them like, you know, they just forgot to pay rent for five months. Why it's disproportionate? Because oftentimes that grief and trauma that we've been holding finds that least path of resistance, and here you go, baby, I'm serving it hot. And so I was married, and I had all this grief and trauma that I, I wasn't processing well. And so what was happening, the path of least resistance kind of came out at breakfast. And what I mean by that is my wife, uh, she likes oatmeal. Um, I'm from South Carolina, and so to me, oatmeal is not grits. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, my wife would just be like sitting there, you know, little Miss Tuffet, sitting on her muffet eating her curds and whey, and along would come this spider, and I'd sit down beside her, and I would criticize her choice. And I would be like, how could you eat that? That's so disgusting. Oh my gosh, you're a savage. <laughs> I would literally use those words. I, I, I would literally use those words. But the thing was, I have a background. I used to be an improv uh, uh, artist for years. Um, and so I'm quick on my feet and I'm pretty witty. And so it would always be so funny. And I would go on this like 10 minute bit about how like, you know, how could she eat this stuff, and how savage it was, and so what would happen there, or why she would wear that dress with those little collars, or why she would choose to do this, and I always had some like really funny bit about why she was doing this thing that I found ridiculous, or dumb, or untoward, right? I mean, it was good, though. I mean, like, she'd never cry. Like, again, we just laughed and chuckled, and it was all fun. And then one day, I was um, listening to Malcolm Gladwell's Blink. this his book, and in it, he talks about this guy, John Gottman, who's this, this marriage researcher, and this guy basically could sit in a restaurant and overhear a conversation between a couple, and uh, he could tell within, like, 10 minutes whether they were gonna make it or not. And so he developed these, like, Characteristics of like he called the four horsemen of like doomed marriages or whatever. And the first one is contempt. And I'm driving in a car to go, if you guys remember that RIP. And uh, I'm going around uh, Grand Army Plaza, which for those listening and aren't familiar with this place, is this big park. I'm driving and I'm listening to this book. I'm just listening to an audio book about contempt. And this guy says that contempt is when you place yourself here as someone else here, and you make your preferences uh, the gospel and their choices uh, sin, and you, and you condemn them, and you hold them underneath yourself. And in that moment, that voice that told me to go feed some people came to me in the middle of that car and said, that is you, you are holding your wife in contempt, you wicked man. And I just realized what had been happening. It wasn't all fun and games. It was mockery and scorn. And what happens is it starts in year one, the jokes are there, but then in year 10, the jokes leave and the scorn is still there. And then your marriage is falling apart. And I just wept because it was true that I was contemptuous. But that voice didn't just call me contemptuous. It said that I had a way out. If I would admit it, that I could be saved. And so I went home I don't know if you've ever apologized for something the other person didn't know you did. (laughs) And I went home to my wife and I was like, I am so sorry for the ways I've been treating you. And she actually kind of thought about it and was like, yeah, you know what? You do kind of make me feel crappy about myself. And my heart was broken. You can get her side of it. Uh, I mean, I always say between... Her and Jesus, you know, I'll be the third to admit how broken I am. Um, and she offered me forgiveness in that moment, and I can proudly say to you, um, not because of me, but because of that little voice, because of the Spirit of God from that day to this day, she's never been a savage. I don't care how much oatmeal she I'll make her oatmeal. Uh, and, I, and I put safeguards in my life, and I work daily to make sure that I am constantly uplifting her, and sometimes I fail at it, but I work to uplift her, never to lord over her. But I say, I tell you the story to tell you this: I am not your holy man. I cannot be your spiritual guru or celebrity pastor or the guy that's got it all together. Subconsciously or consciously, if that's what you're looking for. I'm not your huckleberry, I can't do it, I can't save your marriage, I can't tell you whether you should take that job, I can't help you make sure your children turn out successful, I can't help you heal your father wounds, I can't give you a vision for your life, I can't be your peace, and I can't give you joy. But I know a man. Jesus has saved my life. He has found me in my brokenness and he's called me out of it in very real and tangible ways. And I have seen the depth and the darkness of my soul. And I know it is not something to behold. And I know that if I am going to do anything, then it's going to be because of Jesus. And I've given my life to him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and Christ and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you need to know me, if you want to know who I am, then you have to know that verse because it is everything. Because I believe that Jesus of Nazareth, who walked this earth 2,000 years ago, wasn't a liar, wasn't a lunatic. He was a Lord, just as he said he was, that he was the only person, but the only name under heaven or earth by which a person can be saved. And he went around preaching the gospel, which is the kingdom, and he preached it with such effectiveness, and he hung out with such sinners and he healed such broken people that the powers of the day put him on a felon's cross and they pierced his body and they killed him while they mocked him and they put him in a borrowed tomb and they let his body rot for three days and then after that third day he got up and he took off death and he took off my shame and he took off my contempt And he took off my arrogance and my pride. He took off my covetousness. He took off my lust. He took off my need to to bend myself for the appreciation and applause of others. He took it off, and he left it, and he walked out the tomb. And he went to his followers and he let them put their hands in his side and he told them that I am alive. And they they believed it and they wrote it down and they put it in the book and it's found its way to me. And I read it and I believe it. I have built my life upon it. I've ordered my steps around it. I've staked my marriage on it. I raised my kid with it. I'm all in. If it's untrue, I'm a fool. If it's a lie, I'm ruined. But I can tell you this, I have met Jesus. And he has taken all my brokenness. And in exchange, he has given me love. He has given me joy. He's given me peace. He's given me kindness. He's given me gentleness. He's given me faithfulness. And he's given me self-control. Now, let's be honest, a little more kindness than self-control, but he's still working on me. <laughs> he's still working on me, okay? And so, my friends, I just want to say I appreciate all the honor today. I really do. I really do. And I take it and I receive it with humility. But I have to say, the, 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 the point of today, the point of today is that it can't be about me. It has to be about Jesus. And the, and the beauty of today is not that I'm some great holy guy um, that can, like, stand before you. But it's that Jesus uses broken people. And I have been up his mountain, and I'm still walking up it, and I just want to walk beside you, and I want us to go together up God's holy mountain that we would sit with him, and we would see his glory. And we would know that this is true. And the band's going to come back up, and we're about to worship, but I just want to say this. If you're listening, if you're watching, if you're here in this room, and you do not know Jesus, I, I beg you to make the day the day. Jesus is calling. I don't know what you're, what you're driving around with, but he's calling and he stands ready to give you freedom and victory and deliverance today. And if you want to know what it looks like to call on the name of Jesus, there's going to be elders, there's going to be staff, there's going to be people up here who will pray with you, and, and I just ask you to make the day of the day if you don't know Jesus. And maybe you have known Jesus. Maybe, you know, you've been around church thing, you've been in some broken places. And maybe you're even a little skeptical about today because you're like, it's all fun and games now, but this guy's going to let you down. And to you I say, amen, you should probably say it from the front for the people in the back. Um, I am going to let you down, but I want to offer you for those who've lost Jesus along the way. It's often not Jesus, but his people, people like me who've gotten in the way, who've made a mess of things. And so I just implore you and I beg you, go to Jesus and let him heal you. And if you're in this room and you know my story and you've got your story and you know Jesus, well then I would pray that in a second as we praise that we would praise, we would praise the roof off of this place that we would give God the glory. The scriptures say that if we won't, the rocks will. And I'll tell you one thing, I'll be dead and gone before I let some dirt sing louder to praise the God who saved my life. So let's stand. Let's do business with God. There are these prayer rugs here on the the floor. And there's nothing magical about them. They're just places where you can just do with your body what your heart is saying to do. because sometimes you just need a step. You gotta step out of the chair and you gotta just come get on your face. You gotta come get on your knees. There are gonna be people here to pray with you. Again, today is the day. Today is the day. Come do business with Jesus. And then let's just, let's just praise him. Let's give him glory, for he is good. He is good. Let me pray first, and Gemma's going to give us communion. Thank you, Jesus, for using a wretch like me, a oh, wretched man that I am, and yet you are making me into something altogether new and altogether lovely. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I am not worthy. I thank you, Jesus, that you did not send Moses in Moses' name, and you don't send me in my name, but you said, go and tell them that I am. You are. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Amen.